Julius Jones's name has been uttered by protesters, celebrities, lawmakers, and others who believe he was wrongly sentenced to death for the murder of an Edmund man in 1999. With a possible execution date for later this year, the now 41-year-old's last hope for survival was Monday's Pardon and Parole Board meeting. He was convicted and sentenced to death in what was, in my opinion, an unjust trial at the age of 19. We are assembled here today because we have a young man who has received unjust treatment. Many people can't believe that a wrongful conviction actually can happen in this country, but we've, we've seen this before. On Monday, the State Pardon and Parole Board voted three to one to recommend Jones's sentence be changed to life with the possibility of parole. Um, I too believe that there is doubt uh, and information that has been brought in this case in the last 20 years uh, that would um, leave it not in the best interest of the state to utilize the ultimate punishment in this case. And for those reasons, I'm yes, uh, I recommend commuting to life. Commutation is recommended. Jones's life now rests with the governor, who will make the ultimate decision on whether to vacate his death penalty sentence. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and on this episode of Listen Frontier, I speak with Dylan Goforth, the Frontier's editor-in-chief, about this week's Pardon and Parole Board hearing, the next steps for Jones, and how we got to this point. His family has been on death row with him because that's what happens when a person goes on death row. Their family goes with them. We want them all. I thank God for for each of you uh, continuing to have this fire and this fight for my brother Julius Derrick Jones. So Dylan, I, I want to talk about Julius Jones, but first I want to talk about Rachel Howe, who is the daughter of Paul Howe, the man murdered in 1999 who Jones was convicted of killing. You know, no matter what you think about Jones's guilt or innocence, you know, Paul Howe was killed and a family was left in ruins. And I thought Rachel's testimony at Monday's parole board meeting or parole board hearing was pretty gut-wrenching. Can you imagine if you were me and I'd gone through what I've gone through and having all these random people placing their opinions on a topic they know nothing about, blindly signing a petition that they have done absolutely no research on? It's that easy to sign a petition, just a few clicks of a button and bam, you feel like you're a better person because you think you're doing the right thing and supporting a cause that you believe in. Yeah, it was really, I mean, I think I talked about it a little bit on Twitter afterward. It was really, um, her and the rest of the family, I mean, you know, they had his sister and um, his brother spoke to. I mean, it was really visceral, the sort of, um, just the pain and the, you know, and the grief. And you could just feel it, the, the sort of impact, I think, that time has had on it, it being two decades and then still reliving it, which is kind of, you know, I mean, it's one of the, um, the things that people talk about in, in regard to the death penalty, you know, where it inevitably uh, brings this, uh, you know, pain and, and grief and old, you know, anguish back to the surface, you know, having to re 
visit it through, you know, whether it's a part of the parole board or it's, you know, uh, appeals and um, public interest in the case and, you know, support for what they talked about, you know, having to see uh, celebrities and, you know, athletes probably that they, you know, watch on TV and, and you know, feel like, you know, they respect and, and suddenly they're supporting Julius Jones, who they believe killed their their relative. And it, I mean, I just can't imagine what, what that is like. I mean, what that, you know, having to, to relive all this again 20 years later and it would be so fresh and just feel like it's all totally out of your control. I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. I mean, we've, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember ever really hearing too much from the family over these past several years. I mean, this was the first time I'd really heard this kind of perspective. I mean, we're used to hearing, you know, the attorney general or a prosecutor defending this conviction and not to say that those, that those appeals, you know, lack passion. I mean, they, many times they do, but it's just, it's just different when you hear directly from the family. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had asked before, you know, kind of um, through AG or through, you know, different kind of intermediaries or whatever, if they were willing to speak and to do an interview and it was always told no. And one of the reasons was, and I think everyone can probably understand this, especially in this case, was that, you know, the, the case, there's so much public interest in the case, but also so much public support for Julius Jones that, you know, I think they all, the family, it sounds like they knew, you know, at some point we're going to have to, um, to be out in public speaking about this again, you know, whether it's clemency or it's, the, you know, a commutation hearing or it's, you know, whenever an execution date does, you know, happen or would happen in this case, that they knew they would have to be out there. But like, there's so much. Um, you know, I mean, Kim Kardashian has 80 million Twitter followers or whatever it is, and she's talking about Jewish young and innocent. We have to, to free him. And, you you know, they didn't fear, I mean, from what the people who I spoke to said, was that they, they feared if they come out, um, you know, to speak publicly about themselves, they, they, were, they would become a target for people who believe that Jones is, is innocent. And, I mean, there's millions of those people. I mean, you know, the sort of celebrity and athlete, uh, you know, endorsements of him has sort of um, created that where there are a lot of people who, you know, probably not know anything about the case who now sort of have this firm belief uh, that he's innocent. And they were afraid, I think, you know, what I was told, they were afraid to, to become, to put themselves in the, you know, kind of crosshairs of people who um, have been trying to get Julius Jones out. You know, so the Powell family maintains the belief in Jones's guilt. Uh, you know, recent attorney generals have continued to argue that point. Uh, the current district attorney for Oklahoma County, who wasn't the DA at the time of Jones's conviction, but has said that the you know he believes the evidence clearly points to Jones. You know, this means that the board on Monday disagreed with a prosecutorial community, and so will Stitt if he ultimately decides to spare Jones' life. Uh, this seems like a pretty big a pretty big moment, and we don't know what the governor's going to do yet. But I mean, I don't know if you're like me, based on just side conversations with people in his orbit, it definitely wouldn't be shocking if it accepts uh, the parole board's recommendation, at least to vacate the the death penalty. Uh, this would be a pretty big, uh, you know, a, a pretty big decision against the, uh, you know, the prosecutorial community. Yeah, I could, you know, I, people, and I've noticed this, you know, just every time I kind of talk about this case on, on Twitter or something, you see um, people who have this opinion of, Governor Spit, you know, in relation to this case, going, oh, well, he's not going to, you know, well, it's too bad, you know, he's not going to to get involved or he won't do this. And I don't, you know, and obviously I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't even speculate what his decision is going to be. I can't imagine having to 
to be the ultimate vote on this. But I think people are underestimating, um, you know, and maybe it makes sense because Stitt is a pretty hardline uh, Republican. You don't necessarily think of Republicans as being like the party of, you know, criminal justice reform or whatever. But um, I think people are underestimating Stitt's interest in in um, reform work and in what the Pardon Parole Board is doing. You know, I read actually a really interesting um, interview yesterday. So I got part of it stuff that uh, I was doing kind of leading up to this hearing was requesting, a you know, every um, Julius Jones document I could get, every court filing, everything. And part of what I got was uh, the packet that was submitted to the Pardon and Parole Board from the DAs and from Julius Jones supporters and from the Howell family, um, from Julius Jones attorneys, and it included tons of in tons of information, things that I've never seen before. And one of the things that was included actually was, I think it was um, something that David Prater had included, was an interview that Kelly Doyle was doing with, it was honestly with someone I don't even know because it, it kind of dropped you in the middle of the conversation that it was a transcript in this interview. And she was talking about how she got on the board and she kind of talked about how she, uh, there was an opening for the board, she really wanted it, but she felt like, you know, I'm not, I'm just a nobody, like no one's ever heard of me, how am I going to get this position? And she eventually kind of, you know, talked her way into an interview and then she, she did well and they brought her in for an in-person interview and she did well. And they said, okay, we're going to recommend you to, to Governor Stitt. But of course, you know, the final vote is his and he brought her in to talk to her. And she said in this interview that he, that she part she wondered what her strategy should be. You know, do I need to, how do I sway him to pick me? And she ultimately said, she decided just to be honest and say that, I think um, we need to let more people out of prison. I think that should be the role of the Pardon and Parole Board, board is to identify um, cases where, you know, the sentence is too harsh or uh, a case where someone's convicted of a crime, you know, 20 years ago that, and they're in prison for it. And it would not be a, a, a crime today that we would put them in prison for, you know, or, um, you, you know, just to, to look at cases differently and find out who can safely be let out of prison. And she, I've said that she straight up told him, I think that that the job of the, of the pardon parole board is to let people out, to identify more people that we should let out. And um, she said it Stitt agreed. You know, he said, yeah, that's exactly what I think should happen. And obviously, I mean, I think his track record backs that up with some of what has gone on in, in terms of letting people out of prison and sort of the, the role that he has played in that and the support he's given. I mean, the pardon parole board couldn't do this without his support. Obviously it wouldn't work. And so, the interviewer asked her, uh, you know, in that interview. So, you know, I think he was surprised too. And he kind of, he kind of said, well, it's not, so that's not like a speech thing where Stitt, you know, he says that in a speech maybe to get support, but then doesn't back it up. It's something he really believes. And, and she said, yeah, I think he really, this is 2019 before a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the things that the pardon parole board have done before they have gotten to that point. But she said, yeah, I think he's really, I think he really believes that. I think he really believes in, in this mission and in, in, in lowering the state's incarceration rate, sort of the necessity of doing that. And um, so I think people who are writing it off and saying, well, there's no way that he's going to do this. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree. I mean, I have no idea what he'll do. I could see, you know, arguments for his thinking, you know, on uh, both ways. But I, I think that there is a, a real possibility that he looks at it and says, you know, let's, we'll vacate the death sentence. Um, which would, yeah, like you said, would be a huge, a huge, I mean, a huge departure from, you know, the actions of governors in relation to death row cases in Oklahoma in our state's history. 
Yeah, and it would be, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and obviously, you know, predict too much what we think the governor will do. But like you said, I mean, the, the, the board made its decision and the governor, you know, built the bulk of this board. So these are, you know, you know people that you would think are, are somewhat like-minded with his view on this issue and, other, and others related to um, incarceration. Uh, not that the, you know, the pardon and parole board process is, you know, political, but everything is political these days. And, and yeah. criminal justice reform has made for some strange bedfellows in recent years. And, you know, it's interesting that you see, um, you know, a board, you know, built by a Republican governor taking the approach they did in recommending the commutation of the death penalty for Jones. And then you heard from David Prater after the board vote, who is a Democrat, and that means different things in Oklahoma than it does in California, especially with the district attorney. But, you know, he called out the board and he, he sounded like the the Republican that was accusing Democrats of um, of orchestrating this behind the scenes coup, essentially, of, of the pardon and parole board. Um, Hollywood and the George Soroses of the world and others outside of Oklahoma took over Oklahoma and the justice system today without firing a shot. They spent a lot of money over the last several years and they've gotten exactly what they've wanted. They've gotten a, a, a board that is so incredibly biased against this state and against the rule of law and against the facts in any, any, any given case and specifically in this one, the murder of Paul Howell, it was quite obvious. Yeah, it's a real, I mean, the whole thing is in a real whirlwind. I mean, it's just, you know, all of the events, it's, you know, it, it, when you talk about like strange bedfellows, another interesting thing to think about in terms of like, what will the governor do? Um, you know, we've talked about this before, 60% of the board is, is his picks. And all three of those people, I mean, two, one recused, you know, uh, Scott Williams recused, but I mean, I think he was, um, you know, obviously going to be a yes vote for Julius Jones. Uh, Kelly Doyle voted yes, and Adam Luck voted yes. Those are six appointees controlling that that um, computation, you know, process from the board's perspective. So you would think, well, whatever they do is obviously in line with what the governor's thinking. But at the same time, the governor just appointed John O'Connor to be the attorney general. One of the very first things I've seen was a date for Julius Jones and other people. And so, um, yeah, I mean, when you're just talking about sort of like the backwards nature of the whole thing and, and the roles that people are playing, I mean, that really stands out to me, too, in terms of trying to get a read on what's happening next. Like, um, you know, you've got stiff appointees on both sides aiming for different things. I mean, it just it's a very strange... It's just a very strange process and very strange, you know, uh, unique situation, uh, I think, that we're in right now. You know, I've been familiar with the Jones case for several years, and the documentary that aired nationally many years ago really put the case to the forefront. But you know, it was really last year during the protests in response to George Floyd that I really started to see the movement behind this case. And, you know, the George Floyd case was interesting because, um, you know, his death at the hands of Minneapolis police sparked demonstrations across the country, but it seemed that each community kind of had their own George Floyd, you know, a, a black person or a person of color who was wronged by the criminal justice system. And I, you heard Jones's name a lot in the protest, at least I did here in, in Oklahoma City. Julius Jones! Julius Jones! And he left up to us, us, all of us. And I'm here to tell you, 
and those that we come in contact with and those that we associated with and those that we see and live with every day. And you know, Monday's parole board vote was celebrated by a large group of advocates, faith leaders, politicians, and, and, and of course the Jones family. How significant was this vote in a state like Oklahoma where tough on crime and a belief in capital punishment has, has long been the culture here? Yeah, it's really, you know, I mean, from it, it, we, we talked about this a bunch before about the sort of one party nature of Oklahoma and how, you know, a lot of times all the, the power structures are all aligned. And, um, I mean, I just think this is a, a huge deal. You know, I don't know that it necessarily upends any of that in the long term, but just the, you know, the DAs in Oklahoma are all very, I mean, I think probably without fail, all pro death penalty and they all view it as some necessary aspect of, um, you know, the criminal justice system in the state. Um, you have, you know, the, the citizens of Oklahoma who, and I mean, you can, I guess quibble with this because of you look at how many people actually vote, but you know, there was a, they put on the state constitution. They were Oklahoma, you know, they were afraid that um, the death penalty would be outlawed and they would be out of luck. And so they, you know, they put in the state constitution um, that, you know, that they, the state can carry out the death penalty and they got support from, I mean, it was overwhelmingly, you know, voted on, um, in support of. And so now that's in our state constitution. And at the same time, you have a governor who, you know, seems to have encouraged the pardon parole board to at least, you know, to, to look at this, you know, he's created a pardon parole board that is in the position to where they can vote to support, um, basically, you know, like David Prater said, I mean, he argued, he said that they're trying to destroy the death penalty in Oklahoma and it would, at least with, you know, some, you know, maybe quiet support of the governor and that and the role that they're playing. I mean, it's, um, it, it would be a big deal. And I think some, we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves too, because the Jones case is so unique, even compared to other death penalty cases in the state. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, okay, well, every, every person who comes up for, uh, who is on death row and thought the commutation application is just going to get, you know, waves through um, both stages. I don't think, you know, Julius Jones is, is a very unique case in that he was 19, you know, when the, the murder happened. Um, he was convicted, you know, I think less than two years later. Um, he has, you know, largely stayed out of trouble in um, in prison um, compared to, you know, maybe what you think is the typical inmate. And there are, you know, there are people who doubt the facts of this case, which is not, you know, there are people who believe he's innocent, which is not necessarily the case with everyone on death row. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who comes up for uh, commutation on everyone on death row comes up. Yeah, it would still be, I mean, obviously a huge um, turn of events that the very first person, the very first death row inmate to, to reach this process, to get if he ended up with his sentence getting commuted, um, that would be a big deal. And for it to be in Oklahoma, um, I think it would surprise a lot of people. But I think Oklahoma is also, and we probably have more opportunities for this because of the sort of way that incarceration is handled in the state. But, I mean, it, Oklahoma is, has made a lot of progress in terms of criminal justice reform in the last couple of years. And I think this would probably be the biggest, um, you know, kind of the biggest change, or at least the most high-profile change. Or, or thing to happen in, in regard to that 
Yeah. I, I just think that would be su- surprising to a lot of people. So what's finally, what's the next step? Uh, it's, it rests in the hands of the governor, but, uh, you know, logistically, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, like I said in the story that I wrote, the clock is kind of ticking because they have requested, and the Court of Criminal Appeals on November uh, 18th, I believe, um, execution date for, for Jones. Um, so, you know, there's not a whole lot of time for the governor to weigh in. His, You know, his, he has not spoken about it. His staff, uh, they put a statement out, I think, on Monday that just basically said, hey, he, you know, he takes this role seriously and we're not going to comment on it until he's made a decision. Um, which just sort of like the Court of Criminal Appeals with the you know decision on the execution date, I mean, it can just come any day at any time. Um, I, I, it's one of those things that I think every every minute we get closer to like a Friday, I think we get closer and closer to the these things getting handed down. But um, but yeah, I mean it's really just a waiting game. I mean I know I talked to to Dale Bay, who was one of Julius Jones' attorneys. And I talked to him on Monday. And just kind of ask him the same question, like, what do you do now? Like, and he just said, I don't even, I have to get my thoughts together. Cause I, you know, I think that they always not necessarily considered a long shot to get to this stage, but you just, you know, this is a guy on death row trying to get in front of the pardon pro board and just all the stars that had to align to get to this point. And just, it's just wild to think about. I mean, we did a story a few years ago about how the pardon pro board had gone like three years without even hearing a commutation case from anyone because they were just, it was a dysfunctional sort of disorganized um, agency. And to now be in a situation where all these stars are aligning and you have this board with basically a mission handed down by the governor to let people out of prison and, um, you know, a death row guy who is, they're attempting to execute because he's not a part of the death row lawsuit or the lethal injection lawsuit. And he has, you know, innocence claims that many people believe uh, wrongful conviction claims that many people believe, um, you know, just a lot of things kind of aligned to get us to this stage. And it's just, I don't know, it's pretty bewildering to watch it play out. Commutation is recommended. <laughs> I've thought about this day for a really long time and I thought and I've always known that my good day would be somebody else's bad day. Um, it's really it's really my sincere heart that this campaign has never intended to wound anyone. It has never intended to um, perpetuate more trauma on the victim's family. As the family of Paul Howe, we are devastated by the decision reached today by the Pardon and Parole Board. Our family continues to be victimized by Julius Jones and his lies. We don't have a represent justice, which is a California 501c3 on our side, but we do have the truth. That's going to do it for this episode of Listen Frontier. You can find past episodes by searching for Listen Frontier in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes as they are posted. This episode included audio from The Oklahoman, The Tulsa World, KOFOR, and KOCO. It was recorded from the studios of Mostly Harmless Media in Oklahoma City. You can find more of the Frontier's journalism at readfrontier.org. As a nonprofit news organization, we rely on the support of readers, and I invite you to consider making a donation. You can make a one-time donation 
or set up a monthly donation online at readfrontier.org. Just click on the donate button on the main menu. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening.